welcome, welcome, welcome. I would like to welcome you to episode 398 of the Unpopular Podcast. This is the man, the myth, the legend, Jalen Hunter. And here at the Unpopular Podcast, I'm probably asked you to agree with me. I'm asking you to hear me out. One thing that we know is if you give it time, you will know exactly how somebody feels about you. You will know exactly how an organization sees you, you will know exactly where you stand with somebody, with something, with some organization. All you have to do is give it time. Because at the end of the day, time reveals all. If you're patient enough, you will know exactly how somebody sees you. We're at the NFL Conference Championship. It's this it's tomorrow. And with that, that means that there are a bunch of teams that obviously didn't either make the playoffs, didn't make the conference championships, and with that comes a bunch of coaches getting fired. Usually there's about 6 to 7 head coaching vacancies at the end of every season because some coaches may not have meet the organizational goals. Some coaches maybe are retiring. You never know. Some coaches may just get a new job. You never know. But what we do know is at the end of the year, there's about six to seven new head coaching candidacies yearly. And this year was different than most. This year was different than most, not because obviously there were a good number of teams that were looking for a new head coach, but this year was different. This offseason was different, or this coaching carousel was different because of the names on this carousel and names that we're not used to seeing be available. Let's say that. Now... I talked about the the difference in how we view Bill Belichick and his departure from the New England Patriots and how we view Nick Saban and his retirement from the Alabama Crimson Tide and how those situations, while they look a tad bit similar, they are drastically different in how they're perceived leaving the door how they were perceived during their tenure, and what could happen moving forward. And one thing that I said was, the reason Bill Belichick and the New England Patriots are here is because of rigidness. And being rigid, especially in a free-flowing market, which is the NFL at times, that's not going to work all the time. There's a difference between being rigid and stubborn and being, or for lack of a better term, standing quote unquote 10 toes on winning principles. I was, I'm never going to disrespect Bill Belichick in a sense of, I know what he's done. I know his track record as far as accomplishments, accolades is second to none in the NFL. But as we sit here today, we find ourselves in a weird situation. You see, the name Bill Belichick obviously rings bells. The name Bill Belichick is synonymous with winning, is synonymous with Super Bowls, is synonymous, whoa, is uh, synonymous with Championship pedigree is synonymous with dynasties. But one thing that has been said is there are certain times when the past has does nothing for you in the present. And that's what we're seeing with Bill Belichick. I started this by saying that there was a bunch of head coaching 
jobs available. The Patriots needed a coach. The Titans needed a coach. The Chargers needed a coach. The Panthers needed a coach. The Falcons needed a coach. The Carol- um, Washington Commanders needed a coach. The uh, Seattle Seahawks needed a coach. Meaning there were multiple opportunities for Bill Belichick to get a job. And there was multiple teams that could have put their name in the ring to get a coach that was in charge of a dynasty. Yet and still, as we sit here today, Bill Belichick is one of a few coaches that still do not have a job. The New England Patriots took Gerard Mayo. Obviously, that wasn't going to work, seeing as though the Patriots and Bill Belichick parted ways. The Titans, that had someone that was under the Bill Belichick tree and Mike Vabrell, they went with Brian uh, Callahan. The Chargers, who was looked at to be one of the best options as far as head coaching because of Justin Herbert and the young talent that he is, they went with Jim Harbaugh. The Panthers, a totally rebuild opportunity for Bill Belichick. They had Bryce Young. They had, they're they're one of the youngest teams in football. They went with Dave uh, Ka- Canalese. I know I said your name wrong. Sorry, I apologize. The Atlanta Falcons, the team that we thought was in the driver's seat to get Bill Belichick. He was he had a second interview with them. Things seemed to be looking to be Bill Belichick's job. They went left and got Raheem Morris, which I think was a fantastic hire. Meaning, there's two head coaching positions available. Or, yeah, the Washington Commanders and the Seattle Seahawks. And there are still a bevy of names that would be suitable for those jobs, including... Bill Belichick, including Mike Vrabel, including Pete Carroll. If you wait long enough, you will see how somebody feels about you. And I mean that in this context, in a way of, we know who Bill Belichick is. We know what Bill Belichick has done. And you would think that that alone would warrant anyone to want Bill Belichick, to want a coach that has coached a dynasty. But you know what I think is funny about that? I think it's very interesting how we discuss Bill Belichick. Now, again, none of this is hate. I I don't want this to come across as hate. I don't want this to come across as me being disrespectful. This is me being honest. But it's always interesting how we discuss Bill Belichick. And I'm not I don't remember who said it, so I apologize for not being able to give you credit. But it's interesting how we describe Bill Belichick, because when we talk about just the New England Patriots. We always talk about how you kind of look at the dynasty as a as a percentage pie, right? And you look at it as half of it was Bill Belichick, half of it was Tom Brady. That's only viewed like that when discussing the Patriots. But when we talk about Bill Belichick as far as you know, trying to go to a new team or trying to get a new head coaching job. It's always, oh, well, Bill Belichick has, what, six, seven, eight championships. You never really hear about Tom Brady. (laughs) I think that's very interesting. But also, like I said, it's very interesting how we 
discuss Bill Belichick and what we what we tend to bring up. You see, I'm one of the people that look at the whole scope of it before I just start just just start hammering it on a point. Yes, Bill Belichick was the coach of a team that was a dynasty. Yes, Bill Belichick is one of the greatest coaches in NFL history. But there's also things that come with Bill Belichick that teams might not want. For instance, Bill Belichick has shown uh, he is not great when it comes to the draft. Or let me let me let me back up. Bill Belichick hasn't shown the ability to be a great front office person, a great GM type situation. Because you look at what happened when Tom Brady left the New England Patriots, how poor they looked. And how some of the decisions from the front office, some of the draft decisions, some of the decisions directly involved with Bill Belichick was head-scratching, to say the least. And I think, I don't know. Let me first say I don't know. But I think that that's something that was a blockage in in negotiating around Bill Belichick. I think that when you're used to something, you want you want to continue when something is Bill Belichick was used to having front office decisions. And while you can say, well, he hit on Tom Brady, yeah, in the sixth round means he passed on him five times. And I don't think a team a team looked at that and was like, ah, I don't think we want to deal with that. I think it's very interesting, you know, where where we are and where Bill Belichick is, because I don't think it's kind of like the dynasty talk. And I'm not I'm you're looking at what the Golden State looks like right now and looking at almost every single dynasty. They never really end peacefully. They never really end beautifully. And. I'm seeing I'm kind of looking at the same way with the Bill Belichick coaching tenure. Do I think that he's done coaching? No. But I do think that it's the way that people thought he would be viewed now, including myself now on the open market. That's obviously not true. And. We look up today. And you would think that Bill Belichick would have his pick of the litter, seeing as though the accolades that he has to his belt, but doesn't really seem like the case. Again, and that's not just Bill Belichick, that's Mike Vrabel as well. I don't I think that teams are waiting to see what's what's gonna happen with the AFC championship because for some reason there's a rumor going around saying that this could be um this could be Andy Reid's last year. I don't. I don't know. But I think it's just crazy how we look up right now, and Bill Belichick doesn't have a coaching job. Mike Vrabel doesn't have a coaching job. Pete Carroll doesn't have a coaching job. And honestly, I ain't really heard much about Pete Carroll or Mike Vrabel in a minute. I know that the Washington. Uh, even Washington was was interviewing like Eric Bieniemy or something, and Washington has some of the most cap space in the NFL going to the off season. So I don't know, but times are changing, man, and it's kind of like if you don't age well with the times, then you're going to be thrown away, and you're going to be. You're going to be left behind. And I'm not saying that's what's happening with Bill Belichick, but that's sure what it looks like. 
Yo, they were it was saying that Bill Belichick wanted the Falcons job and they gave it to Raheem Morris, who again I think was a fantastic hire. He was on the coaching staff with the team that went to the Super Bowl. So I, I respect it. And of course, being African American, I, I like seeing African Americans get an opportunity. So I hope that someone like Gerard Mayo gets a shot or is successful with the Patriots. I hope Raheem Morris is successful with the Falcons. I hope Antonio Pierce continues his success with the Raiders. But as we sit here today, Bill Belichick and Mike Vrabel and Pete Carroll are still without a job. Before I discuss or give my predictions for the conference championships, which, again, is happening tomorrow. I wanted to give my predictions on the NFL awards. And I think that's very important because the NFL award, my prediction for the NFL awards kind of kind of either enhance or hurt or hurts, I guess, my argument when we talk about the conference championships. So... I'm going to start I'm I'm going to give my prediction for the awards. Let's start with the assistant coach of the year. Ben Johnson, Mike McDonald, Todd Munkin, uh, Jim Schwartz and Bobby Slowick. I think that all of these are great candidates. I know Mike McDonald was in talks for or was a candidate for one of the head coaching jobs. Todd Munkin, it was a slow start to say the least, but he has completely transformed this Ravens offense alongside Lamar Jackson. But I'm going to have to go with Ben Johnson. Nobody, especially looking at how, you know, the Lions went 3-13 and Dan Campbell's first year. And it, it didn't look good. It didn't look promising. There was there was parts of it that looked okay, but it didn't look like it was going to be a successful tenure for Ben Johnson and this uh this Lions team. But if you look now, they are one one away from going to the Super Bowl. Something they some a place they have never been in their franchise history. And when you look at the the Detroit Lions offense, they have one of the best offenses in football this entire year with Jared Goff and Jameer Gibbs and David Montgomery and Amara St. Brown and Josh Reynolds and uh, Sam Laporta. It, they, this offense is explosive. This offense can beat anybody. And I look at when you talk about assistant coaches, I wouldn't be upset if Mike McDonald or Todd Munkin won, but I do think that it should go to Ben Johnson. So I would give Ben Johnson the assistant coach of the year. The coach of the year, that's a little more interesting. You have Dan Campbell, John Harbaugh, D'Amico Ryans, Kyle Shanahan, and Kevin Stefanski. To me, this is a three-team or this is a three-person race between Dan Campbell, D'Amico Ryan's, and and Kevin Stefanski. We just talked about the Lions, and we talked about how successful they've been this year, and how nobody really expected the Lions to be as good as they are and be a game away from the Super Bowl. And when you look at what Kevin Stefanski has had to deal with as far as, you know, the injuries, as far as Deshaun Watson, as far as P.J. Walker, uh, Dorian uh, Smith or Dory Smith, Joe Flacco, to deal with all that he's had to deal with and to still get the Cleveland Browns to the playoffs was incredible. But for me, and shouts out to John Harbaugh and Kyle Shanahan, well-deserving. But to me, we talk about expectations. And one of the reasons, one of the one of the reasons why Dan Campbell is in this is on this list is because we didn't really have much expectations 
for the Detroit Lions coming in. Well, we we knew they could be good, but we had to see it to believe it. When I talk about D'Amico Ryans and the Houston Texans, there was absolutely no um, expectations for them this year. Again, he's a first-year head coach. You have a, a rookie quarterback in C.J. Stroud who there was a major argument between should they have taken or should they try to get Bryce Young compared to C.J. Stroud. Then, of course, you have a first-year defensive star in Will Anderson. And we remember how they looked last year. Last year, they were the void of talent, talking about the the Texans. Yes, you had Stingley, but he was injured a lot. This team was not anywhere close to being good, let alone a playoff team. Let alone a playoff team with a playoff win. And, again, we talk about expectations. I think that D'Amico Ryans exceeded expectations beyond belief when we talk about, again, where the Texans ended up, when we talk about the development and the growth of C.J. Stroud. A lot of that is... Again, I say fit matters a lot on this podcast. If you don't have a good coach, if you don't have a good organization, it can really derail your entire career. You don't believe me? Ask uh, Josh Rosen. Josh Rosen just kept getting bad break after bad break after bad break. And now you look, I don't even think he's in the league. And he never really got a good shot. Now, yes, I'm not. I think that C.J. Stroud is better than Josh Rosen. But what I'm saying is, you need to have a good head coach, have a good coaching staff, have a good organization that trusts you and builds around you. And that's what the Houston Texans have done with C.J. Stroud. I think that D'Amico Ryan's is the coach of the year. I wouldn't be upset if Dan Campbell win. I would understand it. I would understand if Kevin Stefanski won. But to me, when we talk about expectations, I think that the Houston Texans and D'Amico Ryan exceeded expectations much more than Dan Campbell and Kevin Stefanski and John Harbaugh and Kyle Shanahan did. So I would give my coach of the year would be D'Amico Ryan's. (laughs) Then you have AP comeback player of the year. Now let me... I don't think I've talked about this yet, but I will talk about it. And that, so the 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 nominees is Joe Flacco, Demar Hamlin, Baker Mayfield, Matthew Stafford, and Tua Tagovailoa. Let's talk about Demar Hamlin for a second. I understand that. I understand what happened. We all saw what happened against the Cincinnati Bengals. I'm not going to rehash what happened, but we all saw it. And I understand that obviously one person pretty much flatlined and and came back to life, you know, which... Again, incredible story. I I am happy that Demar Hamlin is still here. I don't want to see anybody lose their life. Period. Let alone on a football field. And I understand when we talk about that. Obviously, when we talk about where they were to where they are obviously the comeback yes one person obviously damn near if actually died and came back so in that sense i understand but when we talk about comeback player of the year this is this is challenging for me because i'm not looking at this award from a life and death situation i'm looking this as a production situation i'm looking at this as what have you done on the field seeing as though this is an nfl award if this was a life award then yes i wholeheartedly 
think that Damar Hamlin deserves this award. And as we talk today, it looks like he's the front runner, which I get. But I just look at Damar Hamlin, I think, only played like four snaps the whole season. And I think two of those snaps, maybe three of those snaps were in the playoffs. If I were to do a comeback play of the year, I would I would look at what the award has been, and that's obviously from one year to another as far as on-field production. And because of that, I would give my comeback play of the year award to Joe Flacco. When you when you saw what his career pretty much has looked like outside of Baltimore and you see how throughout the first what 10 11 weeks of the season he was sitting on his couch so to come back and be amongst some of the league leaders in passing touchdowns after week 11 I think 10 or 11 is incredible Again, if we talk about life and death situation, then yes, I think Damar Hamlin definitely deserves this. But this award has historically been your production on the field. And that could be comeback from injury or whatever. But I think that I would give my comeback play of the year to Joe Flacco. Uh, let's go to AP Defensive Rookie of the Year. You have Will Anderson, Jalen Carter, Joey Porter Jr., Kobe Turner, and uh, Devon Witherspoon. I know that I predicted going into the season that Jalen Carter was going to be the Defensive Rookie of the Year. I thought that he was in the perfect place and in the perfect position for him to thrive, that is, with the Eagles and at a need because the Eagles needed defensive tackle assistance, especially seeing as though who left because of, you know, after the Super Bowl appearance. And I thought that Jalen Carter was, I know he had some immaturity off the field issues. I get that. But when we talk about on the field, he was arguably the best defensive player just a year ago. With At Georgia, he was it. And I thought that, of course, the Philadelphia Eagles went heavy on drafting Georgia players. I thought that he was going to make the biggest impact this year as a rookie defensive player. And I thought that he had the tools to kind of be better than a lot of veterans. And we did see some instances where Jalen Carter was incredible. Don't don't get me wrong. We there were instances where Jalen Carter just was a a man amongst boys, you know. But when we look at the collapse of the Eagles, and we look at just how bad this Eagles defense has been, majority if not all of the year, it's hard for me to pick anybody <laughs> to be defensive anything of the year from the Philadelphia Eagles. I think that Jalen Carter had a respectable season, but I can't pick him over Will Weathers, Will Anderson, and that who I that's who I have as defensive rookie of the year. Again, and it goes back. I, I just view the Texans very high because uh, again, it's about expectations. Nobody, let me, you know, I'm gonna stop saying nobody. I did not think that the Houston Texans can reach the heights that they reached this year. And I did, I knew that Will Anderson was going to be good, but I just didn't think he was going to be a defensive anchor the first year. Yes, we've seen it before, so I'm not saying it couldn't happen, but I just didn't think, especially when you look at him being in the AFC, especially when you look at some of the teams and defenses that's in his division, I just didn't see it. And he's been incredible. He has been the lifeline for 
the Houston Texans defense that has been good majority of the season. And I think it's a two-man race, in my opinion, between Will Anderson and Devon Witherspoon. But when we look at how one team ended, I would probably go with Will Anderson. That's my pick for Defensive Rookie of the Year. Oh, man. Uh, You have, in my opinion, the toughest decision, and that is AP Offensive Rookie of the Year. You have Jameer Gibbs, Sam Laporta, Puka Nakua, Bijan Robinson, I'm sorry, and CJ Stroud. Let me first give a shout-out to everyone on this list. I I think that we talk about this a lot. We talk about how things change, and we talk about the evolution of sports and how sports today looks drastically different than sports did last or the yesteryear and how players are bigger, faster, stronger, smarter coming into the league. And when you look at someone like Jameer Gibbs, Sam Laporta, they they are key integral pieces to the Detroit Lions offense. And, Without them, the Detroit Lions may not be here. And that's even with a great second option at the running back position or a power, more of a power option at the running back in David Montgomery. And that's even with Amara St. Brown at the wide receiver or Jamison Williams at the wide receiver. Jameer Gibbs and Sam Laporta. Sam Laporta has emerged as one of the best tight ends in football. And it's... It's been incredible. But one one of the reasons why I said that this category to me is one of the hardest is because you're fighting. I'm fighting between two people. I'm fighting between Puka Nakua and CJ Stroud. Now, Puka Nakua's case, obviously, is he broke the rookie receiving record for in NFL history. Like he has the record now. And a lot of people are saying, well, you I mean, you add Matthew Stafford and Matthew Stafford has a tendency to get people records. I mean, he got Cooper Cup a record a, uh, maybe a year or two ago. He had Calvin Johnson. Yeah, but you still got to get that record. And Puka Nakua has been great all season. But then I look at C.J. Stroud and C.J. Stroud. <laughs> CJ Stroud is he I said when it when the season ended you can argue that he's a top 3 quarterback in this league when he you know when when he was eventually eliminated by the Baltimore Ravens the way that he was playing the way that he he was playing like a vet. He was playing than a lot of. He was playing better than a lot of vets. And if you look today, if we do like a tiers list, it's hard for me to. I don't know if I can respectfully pick, or let me not say respectfully. If I can confidently pick five quarterbacks better than him. So it's between. Do you pick the person that has? record or do you pick a person that is a top tier quarterback in the league and for me uh, I th- honestly I've been going back and forth with this one all like ever since it was announced um ah uh, oh man I'm going to mm. I'm going to go with C.J. Stroud. I, I know I'm not confident in it, but I just think C.J., to go from having no expectations as a rookie to at the end of the year being arguably a top three, top five quarterback in the league, in the same league that has a Patrick Mahomes, a Josh Allen, a Sam Darnold. I mean, ooh, Sam Darnold. <laughs> that has Joe Burrow, that has Lamar Jackson, that has Trevor Lawrence, Justin Herbert, to be amongst those greats, or some of those greats, I definitely said Sam Darnold. <laughs> Man. Um, yeah, I think that's incredible. And I, 
I'm gonna I'm gonna say CJ Stroud. CJ Stroud for the offensive rookie of the year. Um but that is tough. Offensive player, the AP offensive player of the year, you have Tyreek Hill, Lamar Jackson, CeeDee Lamb, Christian McCaffrey, Dak Prescott. Now, historically, this has been the non-quarterback award. Usually, historically, the MVP has gone to the quarterback, and the offensive player of the year has gone to the person that probably could have won MVP but wasn't a quarterback. I mean, I know a couple years ago, maybe even last year, I think, we saw Derrick Henry win it. Um, this is usually the the award that gets it. And because of that, I have Christian McCaffrey. I really wanted to see Tyreek Hill get that 2,000-yard mark. He did become the first player, I think, in NFL history that has over 1,700 yards with, like, in two consecutive years. But if he if he would have got that 2,000 yards mark, I would have not only made him the offensive player of the year, I do think that he had – he should have had a hand in the MVP if he would have got that. Um, and I think that the MVP – I'm going to give the MVP in a second, but Christian McCaffrey has been – not only the best running back in the league this year, he has been the best player for the best team in the NFC all season. Um, I know he missed, what, like two, maybe three three games, but Christian McCaffrey has put himself on a historic plane. He's put himself on a plane where you can argue he's a top three to five running back we've ever seen. Because with it, when we talk about his skill set, when we talk about his strengths, it's very hard to build a list of great anything when we talk about the running back position and not have Christian McCaffrey. That's how good he's been, not just for the San Francisco 49ers, but he's been in his entire career, even with the Carolina Panthers. Um and because of that, I don't think he's going to win the MVP, obviously. So I'm going to give him the Offensive Player of the Year award. I think that he that's well deserved if he's not going to get the rookie or if he's not going to get the MVP. So I give that to Christian McCaffrey. Another tough one, in my opinion, is the Defensive Player of the Year. You have Deron Bland, Max Crosby, Miles Garrett, Michael Parsons, and T.J. Watt. To me, it's difficult because you can get – I understand giving it to Deron Bland, seeing as though I think he has the most pick sixes in, in a season in NFL history. I understand giving it to Miles Garrett. The Cleveland Browns have been a top defense, top one or two defenses all season, and he has been the catalyst of that. I understand giving it to Michael Parsons. When we talk about the best player on the Cowboys – you can argue that it Dak Prescott or CeeDee Lamb, but I would say probably Michael Parsons. And I understand C.J. Watt as well. I think he leads the league in sacks or something like that. Um, uh, I'm going to give it to T.J. Watt. I think that T.J. Watt, the Steelers, there hasn't been much positive for the Steelers this year, but there has been one consistent when he's been playing, and that has been the defensive intensity, the defensive play by T.J. Watt or from T.J. Watt. And I think that T.J. Watt especially, I'm not going to say forgotten, but a name that you didn't really hear coming into the season, probably because of the entire uh, Steelers team in general and how they didn't, there wasn't much positive expectations for them. But he's been incredible all year when we talk about just from the defensive standpoint and being a consistent presence for that team. So I'm going to give it to TJ Watt. Then you got the MVP, the most valuable player. You have Josh Allen, Lamar Jackson, Christian McCaffrey, Dak Prescott, and Brock Purdy. <laughs> Every, each one of these people have a case, obviously. I mean, Brock Purdy led the league in QBR. And I think yards per play. Dak Prescott led the league in inter or not interceptions, led the league in touchdowns. I think he had like thirty nine. We just talked about Christian McCaffrey and how he has been arguably the best player all year. 
Josh Allen, I mean, it's, it's Josh Allen, and he has put up some historical numbers this year. But there's a reason why every single time we talk about Lamar Jackson and every single time somebody else talks about Lamar Jackson, they say soon-to-be two-time MVP. He is the front runner. He is the leader of the pack. He is the best player on the Baltimore Ravens that is arguably the best team in football. Um, he is, he's had an even better season than he, his 2019 campaign where he won the MVP unanimously. And I would be shocked if anybody else outside of Lamar Jackson won the MVP at this point. So... I have Lamar Jackson, just like I think almost everyone else has Lamar Jackson as their MVP. I thought he, it's well-deserved. So with that, I'm going to give my prediction for the conference championships. And let's start with the one that starts first, Sunday or tomorrow at 3 o'clock. And, or Eastern Standard Time, and that is the Chiefs and Ravens. This this is you know you know how you know someone's great, and you know how you know that universally someone is considered as great is because when you look at this game. Everything points to the Baltimore Ravens winning this game. Baltimore's at home. They have the best record in the AFC. They have the number one scoring defense. They have one of the best offenses in the league. They have Lamar Jackson, who, like I said, is going to be a two-time MVP. They have one of the best defenses as far as run stopping. They have a a a. Super Bowl head coach and John Harbaugh and all season they have been dominant in their four losses three of them they've had the league the lead with two minutes left in the game and they have destroyed teams like they destroyed the 49ers they destroyed the Lions they destroyed the um Dolphins. Like they're destroying playoff teams, good teams. But there's a reason why. But the re let's say this. The reason why this game has been so difficult to pick is because of the greatness of Patrick Mahomes. Because I look at it like this. If and, and this is no offense to let me not even say him. If, if any other quarterback, let's just say that. I'm not going to throw anybody in the bus right now. <laughs> if any other quarterback was the quarterback of the Kansas City Chiefs, I don't think it would be that hard to pick this game. But I think that there's a level of respect and there's a level of understanding that you're playing an all-time player in Patrick Mahomes. Again, remember how this season went for the Chiefs. They led the league in drops. All year has been this Chiefs team is not that good offensively. This Chiefs team, there's, there's, there, there's connection problems between Patrick Mahomes and his receiver core. That, has, that wasn't a one or two week thing. That was all year. All year, there's been a... Travis Kelsey hasn't, even though he is a pro bowler, he hasn't looked as great as he's been in past years, obviously because of age and because, again, he gets hit a lot. So it's just, it's adding up. But yet, this game is it's so tough for me to pick. And it was tough for me to pick. I know who I'm going to go with and who I obviously want to win, but it's hard for me to pick against Patrick Mahomes and Travis Kelsey, and Andy Reid, who is, when we talk about pantheons of coaches, Andy Reid's name doesn't get brought up a lot, but it should. Andy Reid is one of the greatest coaches the league has ever seen. Andy Reid got Donovan McNabb, and no offense to Donovan McNabb, but he got Donovan McNabb to a Super Bowl. 
And another reason why this is very difficult to pick is because the defense. This is the best defense that uh, Patrick Mahomes has ever had. They're ranked second, and this is the top. This is the one and two top defenses in the league in scoring. Like it's going to be tough. I think, and there's a reason why. The, there's a reason why a lot of people are saying that this is a legacy-defining game for Lamar Jackson. One of the biggest reasons why I wanted to start, uh, I wanted to do the awards before I did the predictions is because let's say Lamar Jackson loses this game. Why I, while I know how great Lamar Jackson is, and I'm sure a bunch of people know how great Lamar Jackson is, look at Lamar Jackson's resume. If he loses, he'll be a two-time MVP, youngest ever in, in NFL history. He would have had two teams that were number one in the AFC going into the playoffs. Yet, he would only have two playoff wins if he loses this game. Like, that's, a, that's, a, that's tough. Now, I think... That that conversation is only honestly amongst people that cover sports and people that, you know, because I think that people understand how great Lamar Jackson is. I don't think there's anyone that's questioning if Lamar Jackson's good or not. But when we talk about the greats and Lamar Jackson, <laughs> Lamar Jackson has a has a chance to, to enter himself into a category that I don't think anyone saw himself entering in, and that is arguably one of the greatest quarterbacks of all time he's already surpassed and no offense to him I you know people know how big of a Cam Newton fan I am he's already surpassed Cam Newton he's already surpassed in my opinion he's already surpassed Mike Vick if he wins this game It's 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 so difficult because man, do I lean on the greatness of Patrick Mahomes or do I lean on what I've seen all season from the Ravens? Again, the Ravens have throttled teams. Like it, it, it ain't been close a lot of times. Hmm. Man, it's a tough one. Um. What Todd Munkin has done to this Ravens team and this Ravens offense is it's made them unpredictable. It's hard in one one side of my brain. I'm always thinking about what I've seen and what I've seen just beyond this season. Like I've seen Lamar Jackson struggle against. I mean, Lamar Jackson is one in three against Patrick Mahomes. Now, yes, when they did play. Lamar Jackson and this team is drastically different. But Patrick Mahomes is still Patrick Mahomes. I saw Lamar Jackson lose to Patrick Mahomes live. Um, but I'm looking at recent history. And I'm looking at the Ravens. I understand the quality of, of opponent is different. But the Ravens look drastically different. That second half against the Texans. And they looked more like the Ravens that have been destroying people all season. And the Chiefs, if it wasn't for Josh Allen and if it wasn't for a couple bad throws and a couple bad decisions from the Bills and dropped balls from the Bills, there's a good shot that we could be talking about Josh Allen going against uh, Lamar Jackson. I'm going to go with the Ravens. I'm going to go with the Ravens because I've seen the Ravens destroy playoff teams. Now, obviously, they're not here and they're not. They don't have Patrick Mahomes at the helm. But I think that what's what's so help. I while I pick this team, I pick the Baltimore Ravens to win. And I think that Lamar Jackson is going to have to be great. I think that it's more important for the defense to be good. 
the defense the last thing you want I, I think that this game is going to be a much lower scoring game than a lot of people anticipate because of how good both of these defenses are and I think if if the Baltimore Ravens defense that has a bevy of players and I'm interested to see if Marlon Humphreys plays because I did we do know that Mark Andrews who is an all pro tight end one of the best tight ends in the league who hasn't played in about two months he is going to play so that just adds an incredible weapon to Lamar Jackson in this Ravens arsenal. But I think that it's very important that this Baltimore Ravens team slow. You can't you don't want to get into a shootout with this team. And I said this, I said this, if this turns into a shootout, that most certainly benefits the Kansas City Chiefs. Not saying that Lamar Jackson can't win a shootout, but you do not want to go into a shootout with Patrick Mahomes. I don't care who his wide receivers are. This defense is going to have to be in, is great. You know, Kyle Hamilton is going to have to be great. Uh, Roquan Smith, Jadavion Clown, they're going to have to get to the quarterback. Patrick Queen. So, and... The thing that's kind of give me more confidence about the offense is I saw Lamar Jackson play without uh, Mark Andrews most of the year and how, you know, Isaiah likely has emerged and how Lamar Jackson has been able to lean on not just him, but majority of his receivers, whether that's Zay Flowers, Nelson Aguilar, uh, uh, Odell Beckham Jr. I'm going to go with the Baltimore Ravens. I think that Lamar Jackson has to be great. Don't get me wrong. But I think when I look at the team aspect, the Ravens are better than the Kansas City Chiefs as a team. And I think that Lamar Jackson, he just has to do enough to win. That's what I think. So I'm going to go with Lamar Jackson and the Baltimore Ravens to beat the Kansas City Chiefs in a close one. I'm going to say... 31 to 27. This one was a little more difficult. Um, All week I've heard about. I've heard interesting takes about. Brock Purdy, about this offense, about just this 49ers team in general. I will say that there were people find ways to enhance their argument. That's the whole point of an argument. That's the whole point of a debate. You find ways to enhance your position. And I think that people have done a great job at that uh, all week. They've done a great job at finding a stance and picking apart why they feel their stance is valid. I know that if you look at the, I'm not a betting person, I don't really do betting much, but if you look at the money line, quote unquote, this should be a they have the 49ers at like seven and a half favorites like if that means that they think that the lions don't have a shot in hell to win this game which is crazy to me um i think that in in football it's about matchups and there are there's sometimes when you can be a better team you can be a great team, but you run into a, a poor matchup. You run into a team that may not be as good as you, but matches up well with you or does something exceptional that you may not be the best at. And I think that that is what we're seeing here with this game. The Lions, the 49ers should win this game. You have, and when we talk about the the names we always talk about the names when talking about the 49ers, you know, Christian McCaffrey or or Brock Purdy or 
George Kittle or Fred Warner or Nick Bosa or Eric Armstead. When you hear the names, the names is what gets you. And the names is what, okay, yeah, 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 they, they, got, they got names. But these last few weeks, they haven't been playing like that, like at all. And, like, there's a good shot, or they there was a good chance that they could and should have lost to the Green Bay Packers. Now, yes, I know that they didn't. They ultimately won, but still. And this Lions team, so we know the weakness. The weakness of the 49ers, a completely healthy 49ers team, is the secondary. And the Lions is a team that throws the hell out the ball. When you have the players that they have, the personnel that they have, at the wide receiver, at the tight end position, they throw the ball a lot. And they also run the, they run the ball very effectively with Gibbs and David Montgomery. But when you have St. Brown, when you have Reynolds, when you have Williamson, when you have Laporta, you throw you air that Joan out. And. We've also seen these past few weeks that if you have a solid running game, you can run on this 49ers team. This 49ers team, the defensively hasn't been as good towards the end of the season that they were in the beginning. Um, and we know about the numbers. We know about Dak or Debo Samuels. We know about. I think that their 49ers like eight nine with D or with that with or without or without Debo Samuels. I think that the 49ers should win, but I think that this game is going to be a lot closer than a lot of people think. Um I'm going to pick the 49ers because the thing that caused me concern is the Lions offensive line. While they have one of the best centers in football, their offensive line as a whole isn't that good. And the 49ers, as we know, can generate pressure very well. And the blueprint for Jared Goff is get him rushing, get him, you know, un feel uncomfortable, make him make decisions under duress and you have a good shot now i will say that he did uh, he has been playing great he is one of the biggest reasons why the lions are here but i'm gonna i'm gonna say the 49ers are gonna win this game i have the super bowl being the ravens and the 49ers i, I just yeah and i think that they're gonna lean which they've done all season they're gonna lean heavily on christian mccaffrey and while Brandon Ayuk and Jennings are are great wide receivers, they're not Debo Samuels. And I, ah, man, I feel like I'm trying to talk myself out of it. I don't know, man. I think this Lions game is a lot close. This Lions team is a lot closer to the 49ers than a lot of people are giving them credit for. Uh, I know there there is a lot of people that's picking them because of the whole Brock Purdy thing, and Brock Purdy versus Jared Goff isn't really a competition, but. Uh, I, I'm going to go with the 49ers. I got the 49ers winning. So, you know, we'll see how it is. <laughs> um, I wanted to discuss a little bit. Let's let's move on and we'll, we'll stay on this briefly. The NBA All-Stars starters were announced for the both East, East and West. They're going back to the Eastern Conference and the Western Conference format. I guess they just didn't like how the whole selection thing was going, which is cool. Um, for the Eastern starters, you had Giannis Ntokounmpo, Joel Embiid, Jason Tatum, Tyrese Halliburton, and Damian Lillard. And for the Western Conference starters, you have LeBron James, uh, Kevin Durant, Nikola Jokic, Luka Doncic, and Shea Gilders-Alexander. To be completely honest, I think... I know I hear a lot of people say, well, Steph Curry was snubbed or uh, Donovan Mitchell, Trace, Trey, Trey uh, Young was snubbed or Anthony Davis was snubbed or Kawhi Leonard was snubbed. To be completely honest, I only think there was one snub. 
I I understand why Steph I understand the case for Steph Curry. And I understand that Steph Curry is still one of the best point guards in the league. However, when you look at the Golden State Warriors, they have underachieved majority of the season. I mean, they're under five. They're like three or four games under 500 right now. So in that case, and on top of that, Shea Gilders Alexander has had a phenomenal year, and Luka Doncic is averaging like 35 points a game. It's very hard for me to pick Steph Curry over those two, especially at the guard position, seeing as though how they play. Now, I understand if you want to in- include someone like uh, Kawhi Leonard over, over LeBron, I get that. I do think that LeBron James, or maybe even Anthony Davis, I do think that LeBron James is a all-star, but I would understand if seeing as how he's played compared to the fact that he's been very open about, you know, giving the reins to Anthony Davis, and Anthony Davis has had some incredible games, I would understand if you take out LeBron and put in Anthony Davis. But the fact that you have LeBron James... I don't think that's a snub at all. The only person that I think was snubbed is Jalen Brunson. Now, don't get me wrong. I understand that Damian Lillard is a star. Damian Lillard is a star. By name, just name, Damian Lillard is probably the best point guard by name and by historical resume is probably the best point guard in the east so i understand that and i understand that you're on a team that is second in the east right now with the bucks but it has not been lost that damian lillard and this bucks team even though they are second in the west east they have struggled and damian lillard above all has struggled And when you look at how good Jalen Brunson has been, I think that it's criminal that Jalen Brunson is not a starter. I'm almost sure that he's going to be an all-star. But the fact of where Jalen Brunson has been all season, and don't get it twisted, while I I would pick Damian Lillard 10 times out of 10 if I'm building a team at the point guard position between those two, I would be remiss to mention that Jalen Brunson has been better than Damian Lillard this year. He's been more consistent. He's been by far the best player for the New York Knicks. I think he's the only one that got snubbed, man. And I would take Damian Lillard off. And I, would, I still have him as a as a reserve. But I, I just that's the only one that gets snubbed. I know a lot of people are saying, but Steph, and I get it. I get it. But if you're going to add Steph, you have to take out Shea Gilders or Luka Doncic, and I can't respectfully do either. <laughs> like, so, yeah, I'm not mad with the starters at all. Uh, shouts out to them, and I'm excited to see who's going to be the reserves. I'm interested to see Paul George. I want to see if they're going to reserve, because I think that Paul George, especially in the West, has earned his a spot. I think Kawhi Leonard has earned a spot. I think Devin Booker has earned a spot. Um, I'm interested to see who the other, what, so there's five, three, who the other four will be. So, shouts out to all the starters, man. And lastly, before we go, not an unpopular topic of the day. Uh, it is a shout out. Shout out to Tara Vind- Vin- uh, Vandiver. Uh, I, I, it happened a couple of days ago, but. I got so lost in football and everything that I completely forgot to mention this, that she became the winningest coach in D1 basketball history. Shouts out to her. I think she's the coach of Stanford women's basketball. I think she won like 1,200 and, uh, or 1,203, uh, her overall record. Yeah. I just, yeah. I think that, you know, I didn't want to, it was, it happened about three or four days ago. So I, I, I completely, again, I got lost in the NFL playoffs and everything. And I didn't want to leave without mentioning that, that she is now uh, the most winningest coach in D1 basketball history. Shouts out to uh, surpassing Coach K. So shouts out to her. Well-deserved. 
And there you have it, man. That's been today's episode of the Unpopular Podcast. I truly, truly appreciate you guys. If you want an Unpopular Podcast shirt, hoodie, sweater, long sleeve joggers, the link is in the description below. I have multiple different colors, multiple different designs. Get your Unpopular Podcast merch today. Also, please subscribe to the YouTube channel. Uh, I'm trying to get as many subscribers as possible. Tell a friend to tell a friend to tell a friend if you like the content. Uh, I drop new episodes every Wednesday and Saturday, so... If you like it and you're not subscribed, subscribe. Also, if you listen to the DSP, subscribe there as well. Follow there as well, whether that's Apple Mute Podcast, whether that's Spotify, SoundCloud. I, I don't think that I think all of my listeners, all of my viewers are important. So if you do only listen from DSPs, follow. Uh, it would mean a lot. Also, follow the socials. Follow Instagram. Follow TikTok. I post reels. I post stories daily. Um, that's probably the fastest way if you want to connect with me or if you want to you know, discuss anything. Just keep it respectful and I'll respond. Uh, but yeah, I appreciate you guys. And I hope you guys have an uh, incredible weekend. Until next time, much love.